All right, well, thanks, guys, for leading us in worship. Did you guys have a good lunch? Yes, we did. Thank you so much to the ladies. And if any gentlemen helped out also with lunch, it was fantastic. So thank you so much. We feel well fed. I feel like taking a nap. How about you guys? Should we just take a nap? I guess not. I guess not because we just got coffee up there in the coffee uh, store, the coffee shop. What do you call it, Bart? What do you call the coffee shop? Cafe. All right. The cafe is open. So if you need some coffee, it's up there. If you have a Bible, turn to James 3, James chapter 3. We're going to look at some selected verses, but we'll kind of start off in James as we're talking about in this session, Christ-like communication. Now, I told you this morning that I was going to tell you about our first argument in our marriage. My wife just kindly reminded me, honey, it wasn't an argument. It was a misunderstanding. So I'm going to tell you about our first misunderstanding when we were dating, okay? Well, we were, you know, I called her on the phone. Remember, she said, I'm free on Friday. I went and picked her up. We went out to coffee, came back. I drive home screaming, uh, thank you, Lord. Remember that? That's where we were. And so what happened was that for the next couple of weeks, we were full on hanging out, going to coffee, studying together, or I should say trying to study together while we're hanging out at Barnes & Noble or wherever. And then we would go running together. We both like to exercise. And so we were just, just hanging out, doing church, doing life together. And it was a lot of fun. And then uh, during the season, I had called my mom and I said, hey, mom, uh, I met somebody. And I think she might be the one. And my mom was like, oh, yay, praise the Lord. We've been praying for you because I'm 28. And she's like, I would like to meet this young lady. If she's got your attention like that, maybe over the Christmas break, why don't you invite her to come to Georgia? And that way, uh, you know, your dad and I can meet her and we want to get involved on this relationship. And I'm like, sounds great. So I mentioned it to Lisa. Hey, my mom wants to meet you. She'd love for you to come out to Georgia. She said, yeah, let's do it. Well, I had already met her parents because they came out to California for Thanksgiving. They were living in Dallas at the time. She's talking to her mom, and her mom's like, yeah, why don't you see if Adam can come to Dallas for a couple of days during the holidays, and uh, we'll, we'll hang out. And so we were all jazzed about it. This is all looking good. We'll spend some time over the holidays. And so then, sure enough, the... Um, the night after Thanksgiving, we were hanging out with Shannon and Danielle and Lisa's other sister and her husband, and we're going to sit on the couch on Friday night and watch this brand new movie that just came out called Finding Nemo. So here we are watching Finding Nemo. It just came out on the DVD, and we've got Shannon and his wife sitting over here, Mark and his wife sitting over here, her two sisters, and we're going to sit in the middle. And I'm like, yeah, man, we're going to sit right there on that couch, and we're going to watch a movie. And then her uh, little niece came up and sat in between us, which I was a little upset about, but it's probably a good thing. It's probably a good thing. So uh, we're watching the movie. Finding Nemo ends, and we go out to the car. She walks me out to my car. And then it happened. This misunderstanding happened where she said, well, you know, thanks for coming over. It's been fun hanging out. And I've been thinking about it. And I, I don't think it's a good idea for me to come to Georgia. And I said, oh, really? And she said, yeah, because, you know, we're just friends. It's a long way to go to Georgia. We're just friends. I don't think that's a good idea. And I took it as, you know, she didn't want to come because she had said that phrase. Guys, you know that phrase? Because we're just friends. That's all I heard. We're just friends. And I'm like, hey, you know what? Don't even worry about it. That was my mom's idea anyway. And she's like, well, I mean, you know, we're just friends. So, and I'm like, she's like, do you understand what I'm saying? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I understand exactly what you're saying. And I get in the car and drive off. I was upset. I was a little bit in a huff, probably somewhat rude, and just laughed. And on the way home, I'm crying. I'm just like, Lord, what in the world happened? I thought this was the one. We're like hanging out. Everything's awesome. And now she just wants to be friends. What's up with that? You know what, Lord? I don't even need a wife. 
I don't even know why you created women, Lord. What is the deal? What is going on? So I am all upset. I'm crying. I get back to my house, my apartment, and I just get on my knees. I'm like, Lord, I got to give it up. Obviously, this has become an idol maybe in my life, and you're taking this away. You know, I need, I just need you, Lord. Would you minister to my heart and soul? I got to get through this. I don't know what's going to happen. Go to bed, wake up the next morning, still crying. <laughs> I went to bed crying. Uh, I mean, I was smitten. This is, this is the one, right? And now she just wants to be friends. So after I got up, one of her brother-in-laws called me on the phone and said, hey, Adam, we heard you're moving today from this apartment to this condo. Uh, we want to come over and help you move. And I'm like, oh, really? And I'm like, that was kind of a good sign. I'm like, well, maybe something's going on because the brother-in-laws like me. At least they like me, you know. And uh, so they're like, hey, we'll be there in an hour. They come over. I'm boxing up. Me and my roommate, we're, they're helping us put stuff in the back of the U-Haul, and we're getting everything packed up. And then uh, Shannon said to me, he's like, hey, Adam, we got to pack your refrigerator and there's a cooler at my house. Why don't you call Lisa, see if she can bring it over so we can pack your perishables and take it over to your new place and put it in the fridge. And I'm like, Shannon, I don't know if that's a good idea. Last night, Lisa is just like getting all weird on me, says she just wants to be friends. And he's like, oh, well, you guys will be fine. Don't worry about it. Just call her, have her come over with the cooler. I'm like, dude, I'm not calling her. He said, Adam, call her. And I'm like, okay. So I call her, and, and she was sounding a little bit awkward on the phone. I was probably awkward. I'm like, hey, Lisa. She's like, yeah. I'm like, well, can you come help us out, bring the cooler? She was like, well, it's like, you know, Black Friday weekend. Where I'm going to the mall, go shopping with my sisters. And I'm like, okay. Well, do you think maybe before you go, after you go, you could bring the cooler over? And she's like, well, I guess so. So sure enough, she brings the cooler over, walks in my house, packs everything in the cooler, walks out. And as she's walking out, I'm like, okay, I guess it's over because there was not a lot of interaction in that moment. And uh, she's like, oh, and by the way, because we had planned to go on a date ourselves that very night. And she said, I can't go out tonight. I've got to babysit Elisa and Ethan for Shannon and Danielle to go out. So I, tonight, you know, I can't go out. And I'm like, yeah, no worries. And she left. And at that point, I'm like, okay, it's done. You know, she just came over. She left. She canceled the date. She told me she just wants to be friends. So at this point, I'm, I'm upset. So I'm throwing some things in the back of the U-Haul, and I'm just like chunking the boxes in there like, Rah! And Shannon's like, dude, what is your problem? I'm like, what's my problem? What is your sister-in-law's problem? That girl, like, led me on, says she just wants to be friends, and it's over. And he's like, are you sure it's over? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, well, did you tell her how you feel? And I said, no. And he's like, Adam, you got to tell, in this situation, a girl, you got to tell her how you really feel. I'm like, Shannon, you don't understand women. <laughs> <laughs> He's been married five years, you know. I'm like, you don't understand women. You can't tell a girl how you feel if she just said that we're just friends. And he's like, I think you need to tell her. And I'm like, I ain't telling her. So, you know, we, we had, we, this is how it was going. It's going down, right? It's going down. So Shannon, unbeknownst to me, Shannon calls Danielle on the phone. And uh, they have been back home maybe from shopping. They're just sitting there hanging out. And so he calls Danielle. Say, hey, Danielle, what is up with Lisa? Does she like this guy or not? And Danielle's like, oh, well, let me ask her. And she sets the phone down, and she very gracefully walks into the family room, you know, where Lisa's sitting there reading a book. She says, hey, Lisa. And she's, like, leaning on the door facing. And she's like, so tell me what you really think about Adam. Like, you see the, see the kind of guy that you could see yourself marrying? And Lisa's sitting there reading the book, and she could tell her side of the story. But she's sitting there reading the book and puts it down and looks up and says, yeah, I'd totally marry him. And Danielle's like, oh. That's so sweet. And she walks back in. 
walks back in to the kid, picks up the phone, says, oh yeah, it's on. She, she says she'll marry him. Shannon's like, I'll take it from here. And he hangs up. <laughs> he comes back to me and he's like, dude, you got to go, you got to go tell her. And I'm like, hey, do you know something I don't? And he's like, I can't say, you need to go back out with her tonight and y'all need to talk about where you're at in this relationship. And I said, I can't. She's babysitting your kids, so you and Danielle can go on a date. And he's like, date canceled. She's now free. Call her up. So I call her up, and then in this moment, she sounded more hopeful. She's like, yeah. And I said, hey, Shannon said they're not going to go out tonight. I feel like we got some stuff we need to talk about. What do you think? Absolutely. And so we go out to dinner, and guess what the whole thing was? A big misunderstanding, right? She was saying hey, it's a long way to go to Georgia if we're just friends. Like, if you're just friends with somebody, do you go all the way to Georgia and go all the way to Texas to hang out? You only do that if you're dating. So her purpose in saying that was kind of like, hey, if you ask me to date you, then I'd love to do that. But if we're just friends, I'm not going to do that just as friends. Do you follow what I'm saying? How many, how many of you guys are with me? You're like, hey, Adam, we understand where you're at with the just friends thing. Come on, we're taking your side. Okay, okay. How many of you guys are with Lisa? You're with Lisa, and you're like, I understand. What, oh, okay, look, at there's a division, guys and girls. We're totally divided. That's because we're different, right? Men and women are different. And if we don't learn to communicate well, then those misunderstandings can lead to arguments, right? They can lead to arguments. And that's kind of what we're talking about in this afternoon's session is how do we perform, or perform's not the word, right word, how do we practice Christ-like communication in our marriage? And so we're going to look at James 3 and a few other passages. And so as we kick off this, let me just remind us that the world of medicine has come a really long way in learning how to diagnose and treat uh, patients with illnesses. For example, medicine, you know, used to be like bloodletting people, right? You had physicians who would bleed them out and put leeches on them to try to get rid of the bad blood. There was medical practice called trepanation where they could bore holes into a person's skull in uh, means of curing an illness. Don't forget about the snail slime, which was used to treat warts. And I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for modern medicine. Aren't you thankful we've come a long way in the world of medicine? I mean, today we have blood work and x-rays and CT scans and MRIs and PET scans. But did you know that doctors still can make helpful observations to help diagnose certain illnesses simply by examining your tongue? That's right. When you go to the doctor, they still say, stick out your tongue. Now, part of that is they want to see the back of your throat, but they also want to look at your tongue. Did you know that different areas on the tongue are believed to reflect the health of different organ systems? And while examining the tongue, doctors can look for things like an unusual color or a coating on the tongue or the moisture of the tongue or the shape of the tongue. A swollen and puffy tongue can mean that you have problems with the spleen. A thin tongue can mean that you have a blood deficiency of some kind. An elongated tongue can show issues issues with your, with your heart. If the sides of the tongue are curled up, you could have issues with your liver. Cracks in the tongue could show also a heart imbalance. Dryness of the tongue can later show even later stages of severe illness. Doesn't it make you kind of want to look at your tongue for just a second? Let me see if I'm healthy or not healthy. You know, so now that we are thoroughly inundated with details of how to examine the tongue, in order to make a physical diagnosis, let me tell you this, there is a far more important diagnosis to make a spiritual diagnosis. Here's what I'm getting at. You can diagnose someone's heart oftentimes by listening to what the tongue says. You know, out of the overflow of the heart, 
the mouth speaks, right? That's what Jesus said. You can tell a lot about a person's spirituality by listening to what it is that they say. You can pretty much diagnose that by how they talk, and you can oftentimes diagnose how a couple's marriage is by how they talk to one another. I mean, communication is certainly at the top of the list of any couple who's struggling in their marriage. And in a very real real way, communication is essential for a healthy marriage. And if you don't communicate in a God-honoring way, your marriage will suffer greatly. I appreciate Dennis Rainey, who used to be the president of Family Life, who said this, quote, nothing is as easy as talking. But nothing is as difficult as communicating. Using words correctly and skillfully is an important part of communication. But even more important is that both husband and wife have a willingness to communicate in ways which result in deeper honesty and openness. Did you get that? He's saying talking is easy, communicating is hard. Anybody can talk, but our goal is to communicate, to express ideas back and forth in a way that would honor Christ and honor the other person. And so Christ-like communication doesn't just happen by accident. It's something you got to work at. And so this afternoon, let me give you three challenges that will promote Christ-like communication in your marriage. Number one, you must learn to tame the tongue. Certainly you knew I would be heading in this direction by having us here in James chapter 3. The book of James is all about the fact, remember the theme of the book of James? It's faith works. And if you have real faith in the gospel, that ought to be worked out in your life by producing deeds and good works and fruit that demonstrate that you've been saved by grace, right? The whole book of James is, I'll show you by my works. Well, one of the works that we're supposed to be doing is speaking to one another in God-honoring, Christ-exalting ways. And so, the first thing I want to point out here is James, as he's getting into this in verse 3, so we're in chapter 3, verse 3, your next click on the outline says this, the tongue is like a bit. The tongue is like a bit. He says, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. So the tongue is like a bit. It actually shows here that the tongue has the ability to control and have a positive influence over a whole body. I mean, imagine a bit that just weighs uh, just a couple of pounds, right? A bit might weigh a pound or so. A thoroughbred horse could weigh a thousand pounds. So this one pound can control a thousand pounds. We know that to be true. Those of you who like horses, this is why David even prayed, Psalm 141, verse 3, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Oh, how we need to sometimes just bite our tongues. The manner in which the tongue sometimes gets out of hand is illustrated between two women who lived in Brooklyn, New York. One said, Tilly told me that you told her that secret I told you not to tell her. The other replied, she's a mean thing. I told Tilly not to tell you that I told her. The first speaker responded, well, I told Tilly I wouldn't tell you she told me, so don't tell her I did. (laughs) What do you got? You got a mess, right? You got a gossiping mess that happens because the tongue gets out of control. We got to be careful as husbands and wives to control our tongue because for you know what, there's going to be a mess in the marriage and the misunderstanding goes to a full-blown argument that needs to be addressed with God's word. And so Psalm, excuse me, Psalms 
15, Psalm 15, 2 and 3, he who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks the truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue. So we know that the tongue is a big deal addressed regularly in the Psalms, the Proverbs, and now we're looking at it here in James. It's also a good reminder that your wife is supposed to be, and your husband, for you wives, is supposed to be your best friend. Your very best friend in the same tongue that's supposed to communicate love and adoration and romantic inclinations is often used as well to communicate negative things. So we've got to be careful about that, right? Another analogy as we continue in James verse 4, your tongue is like a rudder. Your tongue is like a rudder. Another analogy, look at ships also. They are so large and driven by strong winds. They are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So compared with the ship itself, a rudder is a very small part, right? It only weighs a fraction of the weight of the ship. For example, the Queen Elizabeth weighed 83,673 tons. And the rudder of that same ship weighed only 140 tons. And if you do the math, it's less than two-tenths of one percent of the total. So that whole ship could be steered by something that weighed less than two-tenths of one percent of the total. Again, when the rudder is turned, it turns the direction of the whole ship, and it can do this against wind and against rain and against cross currents. The tongue is so powerful. That's why Solomon warned us in Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. It's powerful. So the tongue can be compared to a bit in verse 3, to a rudder in verse 4, and in verses 5 and 6, he compares it to a fire. The tongue is like a fire. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. We all know that a fire can begin with just a small spark, and it can burn down a whole forest. At 8.30 p.m. on October the 8th, 1871, a fire reportedly started in Mrs. O'Leary's barn because one of her cows kicked over a small lantern. The fire spread rapidly and burned in the city of Chicago for three days. When it was all finally contained and over, it had destroyed 17,500 buildings, killed 300 people, and left 125,000 homeless. We're talking about the Chicago fire, right? It started with just a little lantern that got kicked over, that burned down one barn, that spread to all of those structures. So we know that that's how fire spreads. The Proverbs tells us this about the tongue being like a fire. Proverbs 16 27 says, a worthless man plots evil and his speech is like a scorching fire. Proverbs 26, verse 20, for the lack of wood, a fire goes out and where there is no whisper, quarreling ceases. Proverbs 26, 21, as charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. You know, we talked about the quarrelsome woman. Did you know Proverbs talks about the quarrelsome man? Not just our wives. Men can be quarrelsome too, and it spreads like a fire. And so in using this figure of a fire, James 3, verse 6 tells us, number one, let's see if we got another click there. Number one, it says, uh, oh, let's stop there then. Don't write down these, but it's just, it's, I'm just summarizing real quick verses 5 and 6. It's a world of unrighteousness. It stains the whole body. It's set on fire by hell. 
And those are some pretty strong descriptors of how bad and evil the tongue can be, isn't it? I mean, really, when you read 5 and 6, you're like, whoa, sounds like this person's not even saved if it's set on fire by hell. It's very strong language showing how strong speech can be to destroy a marriage or a relationship or destroy whatever it is that you're talking about. And that's why in verses 7 and 8, you see that click there now on D. It's already there. The tongue is impossible to tame. It's impossible to tame, verses 7 and 8, for every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Listen to this quote by Robert G. Lee, not Robert E. Lee, but Robert G. Lee. He said this, quote, what has man done with huge elephants? He has invaded their jungle homes, trapped them, trained them in carrying lumber and pushing heavily laden wagons in all kinds of labor. What has man done with many green-eyed Bengal tigers? He has caught them and taught them and made them his playmates. What has man done with fierce, ferocious, strong African lions? He has captured numbers of them and trained them to jump through hoops of fire, to ride on horseback, to sit on high pedestals, and to leave untouched, when hungry, beef placed between their paws, to lie down, to stand up, to run, to roar in obedience to man's spoken word, in obedience to the crack of man's whip. He goes on, Why, once I saw years ago at a circus a lion open his wide cavernous and ravenous mouth and it hold it open while a man, his trainer, thrust his head far down into the lion's mouth and held it there for a full minute. What has man done with the huge boa constrictor, with the great python? Go to the circus and see little women, frail as flowers, coil these hideous monsters around their bodies with impunity. Go to the animal show. Consider how man has made the spotted leopard and the bloodthirsty jaguar harmless and dumb before him. Go to the show and see the trained fleas and see the hungry jackal lie down with the meek lamb. See the dove and the eagle nest together. See the wolf and the rabbit run and play. Right, we know that to be true. You've been to the circus? They have circuses here in Hutchinson. But you get the concept, right? That, that man can train any animal. You know, I love going to, uh, to see, I love seeing this kind of stuff. It's just neat. We went to, to SeaWorld one time and watched Shamu. You know, my son at the time called him Shampoo, but, you know, it's Shamu. You know, I've been to game, ball games where they let out the eagle. Uh, today, Georgia's playing Auburn. Auburn's mascot is the war eagle. And they'll take that eagle and let it out, and it'll fly around the stadium. Right? And then come right back down and, and land on its perch because man can train an eagle how to fly. It's amazing to think through how all this can happen. It's, it's really amazing, isn't it? But what's James's point? James's point is while man has indeed tamed every type of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature, man cannot, and I repeat, cannot tame the tongue. It's full of restless evil, deadly poison. It only takes a drop of cyanide to kill you. Again, while no human can take the tongue, tame the tongue, here's the good news. God can. It's no human without God. No human without a regenerated new nature. No human without the power of the Holy Spirit to give us self-control. You can't do it without God. God must help us through the power of his spirit, through the word of God, to realize in Christ I can't. Because the old has passed away and the new has come. I'm a new creation. I'm a new creature. And if that's true in salvation, then that starts our more righteous path in progressive sanctification, which also ought to include 
talking, communicating in a Christ-like way. So husbands, wives, this starts with us in our marriages. If you can't communicate in God-honoring ways, then your marriage is going to be a disaster. And it's certainly not going to be a picture of Christ and his love for the church. And so if you're here this morning and we want to learn how to communicate better, let's turn to our second major passage. Number two, you must learn the four rules of biblical communication. And we're looking at Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4, to look at some of these uh, biblical principles. You know, if you've ever been to a biblical counseling conference, you might hear a lecture on this. This is where I first learned and, and heard this material, and it just rang true with my own heart and my own life in such a real way. You know, Lisa and I have been to lots of biblical counseling conferences. When we first started going, it was so that we could help others. And then on the way home from each one of those conferences we've been to, we've been like, oh, we needed that for ourselves. You know, we thought we were going to try to be better counselors to help people in our church, but we need this for our own sanctification in marriage. So here's four rules of biblical communication taken from the book of Ephesians. If I can find it here in my Bible, there it is, Ephesians chapter 4. And we're going to call these rules, number one, you see it already, be honest. Be honest. Look at verse 25. I'm just kind of cut to the chase. I'm just giving you the good stuff. I don't have time to develop the whole context of Ephesians, but this is the practical section of the imperatives. And in verse 25, please note that it says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. So here we have this concept of be honest. Be honest. And part of being honest, let's see what the next click says. Yeah, number one, put off falsehood put off falsehood. That's part of being honest, right? That's what, that's what this verse says. Put away falsehood. You know, when you think about falsehood, let's go one more click. Don't lie. You know, don't, don't tell a lie. You know, you, 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 could, you could understand that you can't build good, good communication if you're lying to one another. So, good communication starts with the truth. And the truth would be, don't tell a falsehood, but speak the truth. Don't tell a lie. We could also say, number three, don't tell a half-truth. And we try to teach our kids that if you're purposely being false or deceptive, then you're telling a half-truth maybe, which is the same thing as a lie. Telling a half-truth is the same thing as a lie. Proverbs 30, verse 8, remove far from me falsehood and lying. So, I mean, I'm tempted to do this. You know, it's football season. I've alluded to that a couple times. Let's say that... Uh, Let's say that my wife is going to go out and meet with another lady for coffee on a Monday night, and she says on her way out the door, hey, honey, thanks for helping clean up. Make sure the kids get their homework done. I'll be back in an hour or two. I'll be, you know, I'll be back at 10 o'clock, 9 o'clock, whatever. And she leaves. And then what, what am I going to be tempted to do? I'm like, kids, it's Monday night football. Come on, boys, let's turn on the game. And so we turn on the game. We start watching the football game. We're having a lot of fun cheering for our favorite team. And I've totally forgotten about cleaning up the kitchen and doing their homework because we're into the game. Come on, it's Monday night football. And then all of a sudden, I realize like, oh, Lisa's going to be home in 10 minutes. Turn off the game. Kids, get your homework done. I start getting in the kitchen. She walks in the door, and I'm drying the last dish. I'm like, oh, baby, I don't know how you do it. <laughs> what is that? Being a little bit deceptive, right? And she's like, oh, how was your evening? I'm like, oh, honey, we, you know, we, uh, you know, we watched a little bit of the game. But I mean, we got homework and the kid cleaning up. Again, I don't know how you do it. What is that? Being deceptive, right? I'm acting as if somehow I've been the perfect husband where I've really squandered my responsibilities that night in view of the game. And I'm just saying, if we're not careful in regular interactions with husbands and wives and family, we can get into that where we're really not being truthful, 
you know, or, 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 or we're really struggling to be honest about what we're talking about, which is why the next click says that we want to make sure we're speaking the truth in love. We're speaking the truth in love. We're going to say what needs to be said, Ephesians 4.15, not in an ugly way or in a tattletale way, but we want to speak the truth out of love about how we really feel or about what really happened without trying to embellish the story, right? Um, let, let me try to illustrate it this way. Let, let's say that Lisa and I finally have an opportunity to go on a date. It's a Friday night, so we get the kids their frozen pizzas, and we get the, the movie picked out for them, and we're heading out to have a night on the town, and we're driving towards the big city. We live in Castaic. Let's say we're driving into Valencia, which is where more of the nicer restaurants are in our community, and as we're driving there, I'm like, hey, baby, where do you want to eat tonight? Now, I would just go ahead and back up and say, this is, a, uh, this is just a story. This does not happen, all right? But I were, I were to say, hey, where do you want to eat tonight? Let's say that my wife is busy talking, and she says, oh, I don't care, wherever you want to go. And I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, that's cool. And so we're driving in. I'm like, yeah, but honey, where do you really want to go? And if she were to say, oh, I don't care, honey, I'm just happy to be with you. And I'm like, honey, that's so sweet. And so I pull up into the best barbecue place in town. You know, and I'm thinking Lucille's Smokehouse Barbecue. And, you know, for California, they do a pretty good job with their barbecue. And so we walk into the restaurant. I sit down. We look at the menu. And I order a three-meat platter. And it's got everything I can imagine with tri-tip and brisket and sausage and whatever. And then I notice Lisa orders a side salad. Just a little, not even an entree salad, just a side salad sitting there with no dressing, please. And so if she were to order that, I order this. The waitress leaves. And I look at her and say, honey, is everything okay? And what if she were to look at me and say, well, you know I hate this place. (laughs) Well, I would have, in that scenario, I might be thinking like, well, why didn't you say something? You said you could go wherever you want. You you understand what I'm saying? If we're not speaking honest about how we feel, maybe to flip the script a little bit. Let's say I get home from work. I had a bad day, you know, counseling. People left the church. I get home. I'm frustrated. Lisa's sitting there, sweet and kind. Hey, honey, dinner's almost ready. You know, how was your day? How's everything going? And I were to say, everything's fine. And I throw down my briefcase, and I walk upstairs to get into some more comfortable clothes. And she's sat there thinking what? What is she thinking? Well, she's probably thinking what went wrong, right? I said everything's fine, but I'm not really being truthful. I could have done a much better job. Say, hey, honey, you know what? I had a rough day at work. A couple of situations came out. has nothing to do with you. I'd love to share with you what's happening. Maybe after dinner, we could talk about it. Wouldn't that be a lot better communication for me instead of me saying, everything's fine, and then she doesn't know if it's her or what have you. The point I'm trying to say is we've got to communicate honestly, speaking truth, tactfully, kindly. I mean, if you were going to go out on that nice Friday night, date night, let's say your wife goes to put on her dress for Friday evening, and she comes out and asks you as the husband, and she says, does this dress make me look fat? (laughs) What are you going to say in that moment? You're going to be like, well, Tyson said be honest. So I'm going to be like, yeah, honey, you're a fatty. You look like a fatty in that dress. Are you going to say that? No, you're not going to say that. But you said be honest. Yeah, and kind and loving and gentle. So you can always pivot. Honey, you look great no matter what you wear. Right? I mean, that's being honest, right? I mean, I, the point I'm just trying to make is there's, way, there's always ways to communicate where you're speaking the truth in love, and, and, and we have to understand that our job is to be honest. That's where communication starts, just to be honest with one another. I mean, we have to really tackle that 
habit and make sure it's holy in how we speak. That's the first step in biblical communication. Number two, keep current. Keep current. And here I'm getting this from 26 and 27 that simply says, you know, it says, uh, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Here we could say each day has enough trouble on its own, right? Each day has enough trouble of its own. Matthew six thirty four. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I mean, every day is hard enough, so we got to make sure we're taking care of business as it arises. So when it says, don't let the sun go down on your anger, Lisa and I believe that. And because we believe that, we've committed to one another, if we're angry, we will not go to bed. People say, yeah, but isn't that a problem at times? And I'm like, well, we try, we try to address it. Have we done it perfectly? Probably not. But have we tried valiantly to honor this principle? Yes, we have. A couple of things I want to say about it. What do you do if you had a little bit of a misunderstanding or somewhat of an argument before bed and you didn't resolve it? And then you know how it is, that last five, ten minutes before bedtime, you're brushing your teeth and getting into your PJs or whatever you wear at night, and, then, and you're not talking. It's kind of quiet. You're not saying much. She's not saying much. And you get in bed and just lay there in bed as if you're going to somehow fall right to sleep peacefully. And then you hear a, <sighs> and it's just quiet. And a few minutes pass, and then you hear the other person, <sighs> I mean, what are you guys doing? Right? right? At that moment, it ought to be clear. And that's happened to us before. We're not perfect. So there's moments where I thought maybe it was resolved, but obviously it's not resolved. So I'm like, hey, baby, what, let's talk about it. Like, I, I, I'm not able to sleep. It sounds like you're still up. Can we, just, can we talk about it? What, what, what did I do this time? <laughs> no, no, it's not quite like that. But, you know, honey, did you want to just talk about it a little bit more? I know that you had this position. I had this position. We want to resolve our anger. This is key. In that moment, we want to resolve our anger. If we're sinfully angry, that's what the Bible says resolved. It doesn't say in this passage that you have to resolve the problem fully. Some problems are complicated and, and go over many years. Finances, in-laws, children, whatever. The ongoing massive problem. Are you going to solve the problem that night? Probably not. But could you resolve the ungodly anger of like we got upset when we talked about it and then I said some things that were rude or mean or harsh or vice versa? Can't we at least resolve that? Because if we don't resolve that, look at your next click there. It says, don't give Satan an opportunity because that's what the next verse says, right? It says there, that, or don't give the devil an opportunity. To give an opportunity to the devil, the word opportunity means a place or a position. It literally means a beachhead like a military strategic place, like on D-Day, we had to take Normandy. And once we get the beachhead, we're gone and conquer Europe. And if you don't get that beachhead, then you don't get in. Well, it's saying here on the flip side that you're letting Satan get a beachhead into your marriage, and you've essentially opened the door and said, Satan, won't you come on in? Won't you come in? We want to give you an opportunity to ruin our marriage. That's what happens when you don't take care of anger that night. Again, you may not solve the whole problem, but you want to resolve biblical anger, meaning, you know, you know you can be angry and sin not, like the passage says, but 99 times out of 100, we're angry and sinful. And that's the anger that we need to confess to the Lord, because if you don't confess it, what's sometimes going to happen? Sometimes, you know, the, the wife or the husband's going to get up and go sleep on the couch. And before you know it, they're going to sleep in the guest bedroom. And before you know it, they're going to sleep in someone else's bedroom. 
mean, it starts with just a little spark. And because of the tongue and it's not resolved, it continues to spread until Satan is now having his way in your marriage. And so we want to keep current, meaning let's take care of today's problems today. And invariably in any marriage, you have one party who's the talker and one person who's more quiet. Lisa and I are both talkers, so we, we have to, you know, figure that out. But in a lot of marriages, one talks, one doesn't. And the problem is one person wants to talk about it right away. And the other person doesn't want to talk about it at all. And what you have to do is commit as husband and wife, hey, whether I'm the talker, maybe I need to hold back a little bit, or if I'm the quiet, more quiet person, I need to step up a little bit. Because we can't just ignore the situation. Listen to me. Time does not heal conflict. Christ does. So in order for the, it's not like, oh, we go to bed and we get up the next day and it's so much better. If we just give it a few days and it'll get better. No, no. Christ alone through the shed blood of the cross, through forgiveness and grace that he provides, can help build that marriage into what God wants it to be. Otherwise, you've given the devil an opportunity. The next click says, we need to talk to those who've offended us. That's the first step of church discipline, right? And we'll talk more about that actually next session. But we need to be able to talk about it. If your brother sins, go to him in private and discuss it. So Lisa and I want to resolve this in private. Now, on occasion, we have resolved a few conflicts in public, or I should say in front of the kids, because if it's a more minor conflict, we just want to show them, hey, I need to ask you to forgive me, and I might do that in front of the kids, because I just want to at least them to know we're not perfect, but we certainly love each other, and we're going to work on it. If it's a bigger issue, we need to do that behind closed doors, right? It's not like we want to every single time air the dirty laundry in front of the whole family. So I'm kind of saying, don't always do it, and don't never do it, because we're trying to model how to resolve a problem when there's obviously tension that needs to be resolved. Number four, talk to those that you think you have offended. That's important, right? Matthew 5 discusses that. If you have somebody you know has something against you, what does it say to do with your sacrifice? You have a sacrifice, you're coming to the altar to worship God, and Jesus says, leave it. You leave your sacrifice right there. And if you know that person has a problem with you, you go talk to them. And that would be like what I was saying earlier. If you're sitting there in bed and everybody's sighing, you be the one to say, hey, honey, can we talk about it? I feel like you're upset or offended at me. And I'm sure I contributed to, to your angst in this moment. Can we talk about it? You need to be willing to go to them and talk about it in a way that would help reconcile that issue so that you can come back to and worship and offer your gift to the Lord. So, don't just give them the silent treatment, okay? Third rule, third rule to biblical communication is this. Number three, C, attack the problem, not the person. Attack the problem, not the person. One more click, put off unwholesome words, which is what this text is saying, right? We're skipping verse 28. It's about don't steal. So we know we, we don't need to steal, but back to communication. Verse 29 is pretty clear here where it says, um, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. You know, words that are corrupting are words that are tearing down. Unwholesome talk would be uh, talk that is uh, fighting words, right? Uh, you know, remember the, the movie Bambi says, if you can't say nothing nice, what does Thumper say? Don't say anything at all, right? Now, I don't actually agree with that. I mean, I appreciate Bambi. It's a cute movie, and that might be the first step in the right direction. I say, if you can't say anything nice, say something filled with grace, because that's part of what 29 is saying when it says, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. And then it goes on, doesn't it? But only such as good for building up 
as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. So we're not allowed to truly just don't say anything at all. I mean, I get it. Set a guard over your mouth. We talked about that. And don't say anything in that moment. Maybe just take a minute, catch your breath, offer a prayer to the Lord, check your attitude, and then you come back in. But you got to say something, right? You want to say something that would help build them up. Number two, don't attack their character. Don't attack their character. And here would be, you know, we are tempted, human nature, are tempted to use the words always and never. You never listen to me. You always say that. So that's now you're, those are fighting words because you're attacking that person's character in that moment saying they literally never listen to you. And we would just have to stop objectively and say, is that true? Is it true that that person never listens to you or just in this moment you feel like they're not hearing you? But if you up the, the heat in the conversation to, well, you never listen to me. You're always like that. You're just like your mother, you know, or whatever it is. It's like, that's just, those are mean words to say to, as between a husband and wife. So I would encourage you, don't use the words always and never because they're usually not true. Just say, honey, in this moment, I feel like you're not hearing me. That's fair game. But to say, you never listen to me because what is your husband going to say? As soon as you say, you never listen to me, what's he going to say? Yes, I do. I do listen to you. I sat down there for an hour and heard you talk to me about it, you know. So it just gets defensive. So you don't want to use always and ever. I jotted down James 4, 11 and 12, which talks a little bit about speaking uh, to one another. It's a cross-reference you could look at. Let me move on. Number three, let your speech be full of grace and seasoned with salt. Certainly you know this one from Colossians 4, 6. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person really seeking here to protect the other person and their feelings by speaking grace and having our conversation be salty, which has something to do with gospel-centered conversation uh, that you could use with one another in a way that would be filled with grace and point back to Christ. Honey, I know I'm a sinner. I know I've been harsh with you and impatient. I need to confess that to you, and I'm so thankful God has forgiven me. I'm asking you if you would forgive me as well. You know, you're pointing it back to the gospel and, and, and back to uh, what real grace is found in, which is in the person of Christ. Number four, certainly we want to watch your tone, your volume, and your facial expressions, right? That's just so important. It should go without saying, but you know we all need help in that area. If you're rolling your eyes, if you've got a whiny tone, if your voice has been raised to where you're speaking at several decibels higher than would be appropriate in a conversation, you know, I, I mean, I'm just telling you, you've got to watch out. Titus chapter 3, verse 2, to speak evil of no one, avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect court courtesy towards all people. And so as a married couple, we really got to work on this, right? Remember, you're lovers, you're best friends. Yeah, you're going to have fights, but you got to work through it by confessing your sin and seeking to speak in a way that would glorify God. And, and that's just so important. In fact, let's move to number four. Here's your fourth step of biblical communication. Act, don't react. Act, don't react. Verses 31 and 32, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So I'm saying here, let's act positively. Let's don't react negatively. So to act, uh, to, to react would often be, well, there's bitterness, which is a smoldering resentfulness. Number two, there's wrath, 
which would be an outburst of wild rage. Number three, there's anger, hostility. This would be sinful anger, hostility that seeks revenge. Number four, there's clamor, which is harsh, contention, full of strife. You know what clamor is? Clamor is like white noise, like what you did as a kid, like la, 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 I can't hear you. I mean, that's a vocal utterance that is improper and sinfully selfish to do, not only between two kids, but between a husband and wife. God forbid that you would be that childish, that you would have that kind of slander, or excuse me, that kind of, uh, the word there, uh, clamor, coming up between an effort to resolve something. The next one is slander, number five, speech that injures people. Oftentimes, it goes together hand-in-hand with gossip, but it's slightly different. It's speech that's intended, and it does injure others by tearing them down. Or number six, you got to put off malice. Malice is, is getting very, very evil, where you're actually wishing harm upon another person. I'm just so mad at you. I hope you go step on a rake. Pops up and hits you in the face. I hope you get in a car wreck. It's really nasty, isn't it? Can you believe that a husband and wife would say something like that to each other or, for that matter, any Christian relationship? And yet, this is the kind of language that sometimes we get into. I hate you. Again, I'm thinking about more like teenagers to their parents, but you understand that kind of language is wrong, and it's mean, and it's vile, and it's got to be put off, and it's got to be replaced with put on. The put on part is kindness, right? Verse 32, be kind to one another to show goodness and and grace to someone. Number two, to, to be tenderhearted to have compassion. And I believe that really what's behind having compassion is to put yourself in their shoes so that you can see their perspective, so that you can maybe understand how that speech, that conversation, that misunderstanding or whatever, how it affected them. The way to be compassionate is how, what's their angle, their point of view? I need to see that so I can, uh, so I can at least appreciate where they're coming from. That's being compassionate and tenderhearted. And then number three, forgiveness on the basis of what Christ has done Again, forgiving others, one another, as God in Christ has forgiven you. This is what God's called us to do, and I'm going to talk more about this too in the next session. So let me move on. Number three, and we'll be finished with this session, you must learn to speak with grace and clarity. You must learn to speak with grace and clarity. Say it kindly. Colossians 3.12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. So say it kindly, number two, or B, say it carefully. Number three, say it simply. D, say it concisely. And then E, say it wisely. And one more, F, say it timely. And I can give you some passages. You want some passages? You can look these up on your own. Say it kindly. That was Colossians 3.12. Say it carefully. The second one, that's Matthew 12, 36 and 37. You're accountable for every careless word you speak. So Matthew 12, 36, and 37, say it simply. Matthew 5, 37, that your yes be yes and your no be no. You don't have to keep going and beat a dead horse. Say it concisely, Proverbs 10, 19. Proverbs 10, 19, when words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. That's Proverbs 10, 19. Say it wisely, Proverbs 15, 28. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer Think before you speak. And then say it timely. Proverbs 25, 11, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. We all need to learn to speak this way. You know, going back to that second main heading, the four rules of biblical communication, when Lisa and I find ourselves in an argument, 
a misunderstanding. There's tension going on between what we think and how we're communicating. Oftentimes, one of us will try to stop, or at least we've talked about this before. I don't know if we've actually done this here lately, but for a while it was like, hey, let's stop. Let's diagnose the problem because we are probably breaking one or more of these four rules of biblical forgiveness, or sorry, of biblical communication. Be honest, keep current, attack the problem, not the person. Act, don't react. Which one of these four are we breaking? Let's confess that to the Lord and each other, and let's try to have the conversation again. And it becomes kind of like a healthy, God-honoring competition. Who can be the first to say, you know what? I think we're communicating in a sinful way. Let's identify what we're doing that might be sin. Let's confess that to the Lord and each other. And let's jump back in the same conversation and let's apply these four rules of communication. I can't commend that to you enough. You don't always have to have a counselor or a mediator sitting there in between you adults to work through this. You should be able to, in the power of the Spirit, be able to say, you know what, we can do Christ-like communication. It takes some work, takes some effort, and it takes some commitment for us to be willing to do this. So the take-home for this section was, are you using the power of your tongue to build your spouse up or to cut them down? Are you are using the power of the tongue to build up or cut down? To number two, are you giving Satan an opportunity to enter your marriage, or is Christ reigning in your marriage? Are you giving Satan an opportunity to enter, or is Christ reigning? Which one in your marriage today? Number three, are you more interested in avoiding conflict or resolving conflict through Christ-centered communication? Sometimes we're just all about avoiding conflict. Look, I'm with the next guy. I would like to avoid conflict, but if it's there, We want to also be just as aggressive in resolving it. We can't let it continue on. These are just some principles about Christ-like communication that I think would go a long ways to help us in marriage to love and honor one another as we want to speak the truth in love. May God help each one of us put this into application today. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this afternoon, opportunity to have this session, this time together. We know there's more material here than we have the time to go through in detail, but we're so thankful for your word, for some of these basic principles, and I pray that you'd help us to apply them in the power of the Spirit. And I do pray, God, for that couple who's here right now, who would say, if they were honest, you know what, we argue a lot. I pray that that couple in this room at this very moment, that you would encourage them. There is a way out. You don't have to have a marriage of constant fighting and bickering And I pray that you would apply these principles on our hearts from your word and that we would learn to to be honest and to keep current and to attack the problem, not the person. And we would act graciously and not react sinfully. And I pray, God, that you would help husbands and wives today based on what we've looked at so far in our conference.